0: Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast.
1: G'day and welcome to an extra topsy-turvy edition of Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast that lives soul and breathes soul because we are soul just for the music. And speaking of our soul... I'm Aaron and I'm joined as usual by my co-host from the Dohio because he's our sumo co-host as in sumo episodes he'll be here, soon he won't, oh. he's Mr. J-Wags, how's it going? Welcome to the show.
2: It's going amazing, hello from New York, how are you doing today?
1: Yep, pretty good. Hey, fun fact, it's morning here, it's evening there and our extra special guest, it's the
2: afternoon. Yes, yes it is. What? We should all sing somewhere out there, I <laughs> feel like, <laughs> we connected. Through the beauty of Zoom.
1: An American Tower. I love that movie. (laughs) Anyways, guess what? Oh, what, what, what? We have another returning legendary diva back, back, back in the out-of-control room today. And you know what they say, once bitten, twice shy. Third time's a glutton for pun ish meant. So let's pun the ish out of this mentor, director, photographer, father, friend, or military brat who's been our captain of punk with a kernel of truth since episode 10. But that wasn't before he left his mark with Stints as technical director on every network and channel on American television by making us live with Jimmy, la with Rove, Smiley with Tavis, Then let us wander with Sykes and gave us a body by Jake befitting a stadium's worth of televised sporting events where this gentle giant towered over the LA Lakers like an Anaheim Angel before Los Angeles Clippers his wings and his ear for HBO's Boxing and Tennis, with both qualifying him for the People's Court and leading this lovely lad to the big leagues by hitting a home run for the MLB and MTV's Rock and Jock Baseball, before touching down to tackle the NFL on Fox, which left him needing an ice pack, so he skated off to the NHL, where he carved himself a track to CBS to let us CBS with the bobsled at the 92 Winter Olympic Games plus Battle Dome, which IMDb cheerfully describes as it was like gladiators, but different. So if all y'all, sports fans can lead a cheery g'day and a go shockers to this Harrisburg-born genuine gladiator who strut the catwalk with the fashion police and let us Wakanda Purple Carpet for Wakanda Forever's world premiere, plus various talk shows, game shows, red carpets, televised music events such as Live Earth Brazil, MTV icon Janet Jackson, Britney Spears Live from Miami, and Jay Z Live in Concert. And if you think all that accolades this legendary artist as King of the Vision Mix, then you are the weakest link. Goodbye. As we say hello to the nominees for award shows on this man's resume, including the Radio Disneys, the Soul Trains, the Crystal and Lucys, the 30th Trumpets, the Spike TV VGAs, the BET Hip Hop Awards, the Independent Spirits, the World Stunt Awards, the Oscars Countdown nominations, plus 2022's Creative Arts Emmys Awards, of which he has like 101. So the real winner is us, because we get to welcome back to the Torture Chamber an incredible guest who proves that X marks the spot, because we're joined by our treasured friend, the comparable mr jonathan x welcome back mr cutter how's it going
0: holy crap that was like the best introduction i've ever had in my entire career in fact i'm going to get a copy of this podcast and clip that off and put it on my reel excellent
1: (laughs) that was good oh wow awesome oh god and some really amazing companies are going to be hearing that too so Uh, please hire me oh my goodness gracious
2: (laughs) I'm sorry, JZ. <laughs> I've never heard it. I've never heard it expressed. The rapper expresses JZ
1: outside so. of America. We say Z, not Z, <laughs> and so it's an ongoing joke on here. Like, but I'm glad you liked it because you hadn't had a proper one yet.
0: Well, some of those gigs I haven't I've haven't thought about in a long time. I was like, oh my god, yes, Battle Dome. Battle Dome was a lot of fun. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, when I saw that on IMDb, it literally said it was like gladiators but different. Yeah, well. I cacked myself. Although oh, it's was the funniest thing. What was the difference?
0: American Gladiators was more Americana, red, white, and blue. You know, the blonde warriors. Battle Dome was more like Escape from New York set design. Oh yeah, it, it was. It was darker. It was. Uh, yeah. It was. It was like. A, it was like subterranean. But still, the competition things and the big guys all juiced out, and it was darker, ugly. Maybe on a little bit of professional wrestling in some ways. Oh wow! Like the Warriors come out to play. Exactly, exactly. So you have to take a look at Battle You might be able to see some clips on YouTube. But I'm not too sure. Everything's on YouTube. Yeah. Yes.
2: Sounds like the laser tag setup at like the bad mall in town, where like yes, you go up there and. It's just- It's like all right put on this vest and whatever happens
0: happens and occasionally a real gun pops out whoa wow
1: (laughs) that's terrifying well speaking of real guns i have to say if you've seen the unbearable weight of massive talent yes it was fucking hilarious. Oh. And yes, it just reminded me of the real guns in that. Really, really enjoyed that movie. Uh, but anyways, we had the Oscar nominations yesterday.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I've written a review.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I would love to hear it.
1: No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You did, did really well. And as I said to somebody, I think it may have been Spencer, one of our other hosts, or it might have been you, J-Wags. It was somebody you know. The technical director's done a good job when you don't notice them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like it? It was a real. it was really clean and simple. It was effective. It's kind of hard because we, most of the, a lot of, some people work overnight, some come in about midnight. You know, my crew call was at 2am and then we keep going, going, going. And then we're on air at 5, 5.30, 3.40, you know, uh, and then we just rock from there. So I hope you enjoyed it. It was like, like I said, clean, simple yeah. and got to the point and you have those really tight time constraints to interface with the uh, the network. But it was, it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, I, I did enjoy it. Um, there wasn't too many, well, it's, this is on the writers, obviously, there wasn't too many forced gags, which I
0: always appreciate. Um, Just the one song title, My Year of Dicks. Yeah. That's the one where he had, after he said it, there was like a little pause because there was a lot of giggles and the honest. And then he went on to the next one, which was the, the very long stork. But then when we came back <laughs> we're on camera, he goes, like, I, have, I have nothing I can't embellish. And then we went on to the next category. <laughs> that was the greatest moment. But it actually took up a little bit more time than we, we were planning for. So we actually went over in that A block.
1: Yep. Is it split into two for the network showing it? Yes. Yes. They, okay.
0: it's, it's incredible. It says, okay, do you have. Because through the Good Morning America, you know the Nation Morning Show, like Good Morning Australia or whatever it may be there. So they, they hit this one segment and then we have like like an eight minute window and that includes them doing their little thing in the studio. Oh, now we're gonna go out and see, and then their little tags set up and there's a three minute break and then we do the B block. So it's just a fixed window. So it, and every year it's the same battle. We end up taking certain awards categories out of the A block and moving them to the B block because when we rehearse, 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 we realize, God, we're already a minute over, you know? So, and that doesn't even include, the applause after every name that's mentioned and, and the reaction time and all that then you got to kind of calculate that and also
1: yeah to be honest after a little while i was sort of thinking just wait please just wait till the end of it only because it was so early in the morning here i'm talking about the applauding there so that again that's on the audience not on you guys
0: but it's it's, it's a natural thing because this is the first time we've had like if you remember last year we just had boxerama multiple boxes, and all these multiple remotes coming in from different locations during the categories this is the first time in a few years we actually had uh, a studio because the year before that we did it from london with chopra and jonas as a host co-host remember in london he had that gold suit on yeah and and that was no audience there and then so it was kind of good to be back with the with people post-covid
1: yeah, it's like standing ovations on Broadway. I'll allow it just for a little while while you're all excited <laughs> to be back in a the theater, okay? And then I'm going to be grumpy about it again. Now, just uh, one more question. We'll move on to the music. Have you ever used one of your Emmy awards to carve a jack-o'-lantern or something? Never. Have you used it to poke a hole in something, wake someone up?
0: No, I think one broke. The, the very first one I gave to my mother, of course. Ah, uh-huh. that's obligatory. Shipped it to mom. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think and I think everybody in the neighborhood had a picture with it.
2: oh <laughs> that's giving back. Is she still in Harrisburg?
0: <laughs> no, no, she 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 passed away in two thousand seven. Two thousand seven was my year of loss of mother, grandmother. But recently, I went through a box of photographs a whole box and I've been scanning all of her photographs and, you know, posting the family members. And then I found maybe a dozen or two of people, just people in the neighborhood posing with the Emmy in her living room, you know, the mailman, the whatever, the delivery person, the next door neighbor, because it was like, it, was, it just sat right up on top of her TV, you know, so every time everybody came over, was like, oh my God, what is that? Oh, that's this, oh, that's <laughs> this, this is Emmy, blah, blah. Oh, take a picture with it. Okay.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Anyways, we're going to keep the show going. And this week we're going to mix it up a little bit and we're going to do the musical first. And because friend of the show, Mr. David Zippel, has Hercules the musical finally opening at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. I thought this week we should do another Disney musical that starts with H at the Paper Mill Playhouse. So we've gone with The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now also we've mixed it up a little bit because it is Jonathan's first time yeah. on the show, so we thought make it a little bit easier for him, and we gave him the 1996 film, whilst
2: JX and I have done the musical. So J-Wags, I'll let you. Yes, so I did the 1996 film. Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, This is a very odd selection for a Disney film, I would think. This is sort of in the end-ish part of what people consider the Disney renaissance, which is sort of the Little Mermaid all the way to Tarzan. And most of these films were musicals, and most of them were written by uh, or scored by Alan Menken, the incredible genius. And by this point in his career, like he had his Disney game down to a science. Uh, He was no longer working with uh, the late Howard Ashman, who had unfortunately passed away at this point, and no longer with Tim Rice. Stephen Schwartz came on with Alan Menken to work on Pocahontas and the Hunchback of Notre Dame. This was their, their, their final part. Now, the amazing thing about this thing is that it feels very clear to me that they were pushing towards something much more of a PG direction. This is an incredibly serious story for disney to be telling but someone didn't quite feel i think that this was appropriate so they really i think at the end probably had a whole bunch of edits to make it a g-rated film when the tone of this movie is not g-rated there are themes of genocide infanticide burning people to death like racism like there's so much going on and it's not like subtext it is all text that being said it is one of the best disney scores ever written this goes hard and not only that it goes hard and super catholic like it's all set basically the giant cathedral and these two jews wrote this intensely catholic show and it's <laughs> amazing uh, i like to consider it almost disney's sweeney todd it's incredibly dark and most of the humor all the good humor anyway sort of comes from the situations and the actors they trust the one misstep in the film and also on the soundtrack i think is that they decided we don't have enough cute characters So they decided to add these characters of gargoyles that come in and they're sort of in the figment of the imagination. And they are a Jar Jar level, like Jar Jar Binks level miscalculation. They are like nails on a chalkboard. They kill the tone every time they are on screen, which is only about eight minutes of the film. Uh, And they're barely in the soundtrack.
1: Uh, Yeah. Funny you're saying this because my problem with this stage version is that they cut out the gargoyles. I completely disagree with you on all of that, but okay, go. My heart is breaking. <laughs>
2: Well, it's, it's also weird because you have people who are voice actors in this movie who later on went on to do animated characters. So it's a little bit like a gargoyle sounds like Duckman. Yes. Like it's a very similar voice to Jason Alexander's Duckman voice. And Kevin Klein, who plays Phoebus uh, and does not sing in the movie even though he has a lovely voice. He's also like the landlord on Bob's Burgers. So like a couple line readings are like, oh, the landlord from Bob's Burgers is in this movie. Mary Wicks, the great Mary Wicks. who oh, was her final uh, performance, yes please let them cut out those gargoyles they deserve to be stoned and not do anything no the story be the story we have this amazing thing the opening number bells of notre dame is one of the best disney opening numbers because unlike a lot of other musical numbers where you're describing either a character or you're describing the place this describes all of the backstory and it does so in six minutes perfectly It is a masterclass in how to write an opening number to get you to a correct emotional tone. And at the end, Paul Candle, who plays Clopin, the king of the Romani people in this movie, he hits an E flat. He hits a high E flat at the beginning and the end of this show. So, hey. That's amazing. The songs all go super hard. Tom Hulse playing Quasimodo, uh, as we remember him from Animal House and Amadeus, those two films. He can actually sing his face off. I forgot that he was indeed the Ben Platt of the 90s. <laughs> and he's like, it's that very high vibrato y pipey thing. And I love the choice that. In all other film adaptations, they have, he has sort of like the Quasimodo voice. In this one, they went with a beautiful, like just clear voice person, which really brought the beauty of the character to the front. The voice acting in this film is flawless. Even Demi Moore, who I wasn't sure was going to do a great job with Esmeralda. She's the only one who doesn't sing, Her doesn't do her own music. God Help the Outcast was sung by Heidi Mollenhauer, and she does a great job, wonderful casting. She sort of sounds like Demi Moore, if Demi Moore had a good voice, which is always nice in these Disney. It also has the single darkest villain song in the history of the Disney canon, Hellfire. Mm -hmm. Judge Frollo is just hanging out and he gets a little horny and he can't deal with that. So he decides either he is going to take possession of Esmeralda, the Romani, or she will burn at the stake, setting up the stakes for the end of the show. And it all ends up just working so well in this cinematic way i ended up watching the movie and there's a lot of incidental choral music and uh, orchestral music in the soundtrack and all of it is very very beautiful and like just absolutely perfect for the score the story is told absolutely beautifully and although like the ending is not the same i mean it's disney it's not going to end the exact same way but i was still satisfied with the ending and uh, the choices that were made and i did realize this time through is that uh it does have the exact same ending as dear evan hansen what happens quasimodo steps into the sun if you really want to hear like a really peak level but underrated disney score this is the one but i just think that the gargoyles belong to a completely different movie and you're really at the point where you're like uh uh, let's give it a shot or not give it a shot i think you will enjoy it but be aware it is a very very dark both film and score i would give this one four and a half and the half star removed would be for the presence of the gargoyles which just only doesn't work for me. Oh, my heart breaks. Now, JX,
1: yes, sir. Uh, you and I listened to the Paper Mill Playhouse,
0: right? Yeah, but it's, it's still the same essence in some ways, right? Same songs by the performer. Very similar. Yep. Okay. So I'm coming from a civilian point of view. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big musical fan, but I appreciate the art. Like you know, just to be a good dad, I took my kids to see The Lion King. I took them to go see Cats. I took him to go see uh, Wicked, I took and I sat through him, right? And I, and, and then, and what was the one, uh, what was the French Revolution one? Les Mis, yeah, also by Victor Hugo. I took him to go see Les Mis, and then what was the uh, the Magic Flute? Was that out for a while? There was a Magic Flute, was something like that. And then, uh, of course, I took him to go see Fela, mm. and then recently, the wife and I went to go see Temptations, and Too Proud of Bed. Mm. now. With that being said, when I sit there and I listen to the songs and the beauty of the voices, the, the freedom, I appreciate the freedom of the actors to run around the stage and flail their arms <laughs> and dance and sing and perform and emote and be exaggerated. It's a skill set I don't have, but it's a skill set I greatly appreciate because it takes it to sit in a certain amount of I don't know just comfort and security to let yourself be that on stage in front of people and perform that and touch those emotional bullet points so whenever listening to that album i picture myself sitting in the audience going oh god but at the same time oh my god that's so beautiful yeah is that a duality of spirit here like jesus christ get me the fuck out of here oh my god this is so beautiful how are they doing that right and then i watch the stage production so the movements because even 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 like listening to the record or listening to the spot the album your mind triggers thoughts right creative thoughts are you are you free enough in my mind to see the clouds (laughs) to see the hills to see the village to see the fabric to see the sun and then the music will take you places in your imagination Mm -hmm. you know you start acting out the story with the characters in your head which is cool. So from all that stuff, the songs were successful, because if it could take a civilian like me, who really doesn't give a shit, but yet make me feel like 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 going somewhere or doing something creatively in my mind, then it's a complete success. So anytime an artist can do that to my head, it's a winner. So I say two thumbs up. I, I enjoy oh. the songs. The visualizing, and once again, I, I just have a great appreciation for those people who can do that shit because I can't. The most interesting
2: thing I think about this specific musical is that we always have to have like some sort of hero's journey. Who changes? What's the point of the story? Who's different at the end? All of the characters in this musical are the same at the end. Quasimodo is good and pure. Esmeralda is like good and pure. Like the good people are good. The bad people are bad. No one has to <laughs> change. The people who change are the people of Paris. They figure out how to accept quasimodo that's because you
1: don't know the ending of the musical which is actually a lot darker than the movie
2: amazing
1: yes i was gonna talk about that i don't know if i should spoil it for you spoil it okay well i'm in two minds about it at the end esmeralda dies okay of smoke inhalation which you know and then which okay fine I'm, i'm completely fine with that you know i still think maria should die at the end of fucking west side story but anyways Quasimodo then picks up Frollo and throws him over the edge into the fires so I'm in two minds about that because you do have this hero this beautiful soul Mm -hmm. vengeance revenge murdering someone in vengeance is not a beautiful soul thing to do but that's the note we end on. Oh, but then we see his skeleton and Esmeralda's skeleton at the very, very end together in rubble or something like that in the Court of Miracles, which the Court of Miracles actually existed. It was sort of like the slums. Mm-hmm. So like there would be like cul-de-sacs of like homeless people and, and
2: vagabonds and stuff like that. That feels much more true to the Hugo and much more true to sort of the spirit of the piece. And I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I do I personally mind a sad ending if you've earned it it's just if you've built this character and this score it supports it this score absolutely supports the emotions that are behind it now i'm gonna to listen to the musical version because i know phoebus needs a song and i'm sure he gets one musical
1: version. unfortunately yes he does get a couple <laughs> i'm not into ballads but god help the outcast is one of my favorites it's absolutely beautiful i was 11 when this came out in cinemas and I was dumped off at the cinema to go by myself because my mum didn't have any interest in seeing this one, even though like she had seen all the other Disney movies. So I saw this one by myself and as soon as that music started I'd seen the making of documentary before then which the background characters when you look closely there are only six designs and a certain amount of colors and they've just swapped them over so if you look closely when when there's big crowd shots Mm. it's all just the same six people that are wearing different clothes or you and you'll see men wearing women's clothes I think because they've run out of options along the way this in my opinion is Alan Menken's piece de resistance it is his greatest score I'm not talking about lyrics and I'm not talking about story or the show I am talking about Mencken's music it gives you goosebumps as soon as it starts up and I cannot wait to see it on stage absolutely agree now just a couple of fun facts about the Notre Dame the grounds were apparently a few different places before they built this uh, in the early 12th century or something like that they started building it or whenever it was the earliest they think it was was a temple for worshipping Jupiter so they ended up finding, I think it might have been in the Big Fire a couple of years ago, they ended up finding like a column or something like that. So it was Roman? they Jove, sorry, J-O-V-E, which is Jupiter. So I, whichever language that's in, I don't know. This is Wikipedia, it's probably wrong. Esmeralda <laughs> is is Manouche, which is French Romani, and obviously uh, Romani, or the gypsy community, there's lots of names for them. But my favourite is Ursari, which means bear handlers- because maybe I might find a husband. Aww. Although the bear handlers or the the bear leaders, it wasn't a. It was like dog fighting. It was like early dog fighting. They would take bears around to fight with other bears or other uh, with dogs and stuff like that in in different villages.
2: So let's just hope they're not doing that anymore. glad we're not doing that around here. Yeah, haven't seen any bear fights in New York recently. The subway's bad enough without the bears.
1: <laughs> Don't know any. Um. Yeah, they're thought to originate from northern India. Originally. Yes, they
2: are an Indo-Aryan tribe, I think, is their official designation.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, fun fact, the stained glass window on the Notre Dame de Paris has a little Easter egg with the Romani flag, or the proposed Romani flag, which is a wagon wheel, right? Hmm? A wagon wheel two colours, I think, green on the bottom and blue on the top, and then a red wagon wheel, if I remember correctly. Now, if you look at that wagon wheel, that's the pattern... In the middle of the stained glass window on the Notre Dame de Paris, it makes a wagon wheel. So you've got a little Easter egg that matches up with that. Yeah, and I just did a little bit of research about Romani and the Notre Dame de Paris. I had fun with that because I
2: learned something. Yeah, the Notre Dame, I believe, it's high Gothic, isn't it? Yes, it was built primarily to to let more light in. the The, the Gothic architecture, remembering my A.P. art history, uh, is uh, connoted by the flying buttresses, which allow the windows to get so much bigger, so you can let all the light of God into your cathedral.
1: Yeah. And the one before it started off as something, but then they they changed halfway through, I think it was, and started building in the Gothic style, or it was that half Gothic style. And so the Notre Dame, they made sure it was fully, and it means the Grand Lady of Paris. That's what that means. Uh, oh no, I forgot to write a segue to the ad break. Oh, a meatloaf. Meatloaf was originally up for the voice of Quasimodo. I believe it. In the movie and Cindy Lauper was meant to be one of the gargoyles when they were going to be called, um, they were going to be named after three actors who played Quasimodo. So Lon Chaney, I think Anthony Perkins and somebody else. So it was going to be Perkins, Chaney and someone, but they they were worried because Anthony Perkins was still alive. They would get sued. Because you know, you're Disney, you don't have enough money to get sued.
2: Well, they like just like referring to someone's name, like as a yeah. as a character. But it's also hey. Keep Anthony Perkins' name out your mouth. <laughs> That's it. Uh yeah, they
1: went with uh, Victor, Hugo, and Laverne being Laverne Andrews, who was drinking Roman Coca-Cola as one of the Andrews sisters. Uh but anyways, um
2: segue. Oh my god, I can't think of it. We need a moment for some sanctuary, so here's some ass. <laughs> Excellent.
1: G'day, listeners. Aaron here we thought we better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So
3: here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. And now we have Hadestown playing at the Walter Kerr Theatre on Broadway. I have not seen the current cast, but I did see the mostly original Broadway cast of this show. Who's still with the show? You have Reeve Carney, Ava Noblezada, Patrick Page. We can talk about Reeve Carney. His Orpheus is lifely and untainted by the hell of the rest of the story. Then you have Eva noblezada as Eurydice, and sure her voice is incredible. You know, she she still has that youth to her voice and that that innocence. Then Patrick Page as Hades, his low voice is immense and powerful. His uh why do we build the wall in act one is powerful. The set for this show is fantastic. You have moving parts. You have a turntable. You have an elevator in the middle that goes up and down. Now with the band, the band is on stage, but they are rocking out. It is a New Orleans-style night here at Hadestown. This show is a show for tourists. I think that purists could enjoy it as well, but it mainly is just that story of, of Eurydice and, and Orpheus sprinkled in with a little Persephone. And Hades and Hermes in there. And so so go see Hades Town at the Walter Crook Theater.
1: Anyway, you're listening to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Mr. J Weggs and we are joined by a friend of the show, third time guest, Mr. Jonathan X. Well, you've just actually done the Red Bull Symphony concert last year
0: that was before that was before the oscar nomination was yesterday morning in the red bull with rick ross was about a month ago which was really really good there's some
2: there's some links on youtube yeah i watched a few videos that was good did red bull sponsor it or does everyone in the orchestra have to consume a bunch of red bull before the orchestra concert
0: (laughs) okay i'm going to be completely honest with you red bull was a sponsor but they had fucking vats of red bull all backstage and around and giving away I have done events with red bull they force that stuff on you so hard i made a mistake the day before the show during rehearsal i was because I, I drank a red bull and oh, i i thought i was going to black out i was i was for a moment there i looked up at the monitor wall and my eyes all start sparkling and i got like i'll, I'll never drink that again <laughs> i remember we this it was a comedy festival being sponsored by these
2: were the three products that were available in unlimited quantities backstage red bull energy drink bass ale and chipotle burritos so backstage (sighs) you got red bull bass ale and chipotle nothing else there is no other refreshment backstage so you were either drunk wired and or gassy at this oh point oh my god uh was that with or without e coli uh i don't think there was any e coli but man that was not a fun backstage area
0: Whoa.
1: I, I think drunk wired and gassy are the three new dwarfs disney have put in the new snow white <laughs> <laughs> movie. Sorry, that's terrible
0: <laughs> peter dinkley is
1: going to come after me the new weber
2: adaptation bad snow white <laughs> actually that'd be fun Alrighty, so
1: we're gonna move on do i have a question no i didn't have a question i thought i had a question question for the thing oh yeah before we ring in the music you take some incredible photos of or you have taken for the past 30 40 50 years of american life uh just from your perspective and it's kind of almost a raw punk verite style now uh, do you remember i will show you remember getting your first camera
0: You know what? There's a photograph on my Twitter feed today called self-reflection. It's a mirror shot in El Paso, Texas, about 1977. It was the poor 35-millimeter camera I I got at a a pawn shop. But before that, my first movie camera was a Kodak 8-millimeter camera when I was maybe like 14 in Indianapolis, Indiana, from a pawn shop. I did a lot of shopping at pawn shops.
3: I have...
1: um... Well, I got McGilla Gorilla, but I also got an old Batman. I think a nineteen forty-five Batman in eight mil. Nice. Um, I've got a projector somewhere and a camera and a light, which blew.
0: I was looking at those little, uh, those newer eight millimeter projectors that convert into ten eighty little move MPEG four files you know, for a few hundred bucks. So I, I have a bunch of eight millimeter reels I need to go through and look at.
2: Do you have like a model of camera that's sort of like your like cheap go-to? Cause I know like I have a, a real cheap Sennheiser handheld mic that I've had for 20 years, but it's still one of the best mics I've ever had. Like, do you have to like, what's a camera for you that's like, hey, if you're, if you can get on eBay, this model of camera is great and you can usually get it for like 400 bucks.
0: Here's the deal. My first really good 35 millimeter camera was when I was living in DC and I went to a evidence sale for the FBI I had a little fun like like a fundraiser where they were selling stuff that confiscated, right? Oh fun. I got this Nikon F3 with the camera bag and a yeah. long lens of 20 that like, you know for a few hundred bucks or whatever it was I bid for it. Oh, what well, Craig was using that. It's a camera I've always had. I've always had that camera, right? And then I finally got like a, a Canon, I think a kind of a Nikon. Was it a no, it's a Canon 5D. And then I recently got a 60 because it was lighter. It, I hate to say it, and, and, and it, my God, it's going to sound elitist or pretentious. It's not the gear. Yeah. It's not the gear. It really, I have a lot of gear, different things that I have, because I would experiment, whatever, but I still have a lot of my 80s audio gear that I'm trying to open up again, and hopefully the capacitors have it all melted and shorts out when I plug it in. But like camera, it's really about the subject matter, right? What you're taking pictures of. It's what you're capturing so i mean i mean i have some great shots of my old beat up 35 and it's not even SLr it's just like you know whatever camera they, they were called and then i have you know some of those old you know 640 by 40 point and shoot digital cameras when things started to cross over the digital little point and shoot things and there i started to learn how to drag the shutter and all set the flash and get beautiful trail stroby things so it's really about the subject matter it's, it really is it's just what you're shooting. Oh, I got the $2,000 camera body and a $4,000 lens. Click, click, you know, whatever.
2: It's like, same thing with like a crappy song on a $2,000 mic is still a crappy song on a $2,000 mic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then if, and and anything that you're writing and playing with soul is you're writing and playing with your soul, you know? So yeah. But, oh, but, but in terms of the photography, Aaron, I've been working on, um, I'm trying to do like a 10 part series, right? 30 images per series. And I'm trying to figure out if there's a, a a gallery here in LA where I could do like a photo exhibit. Yes. And I've been calling yes. it a, a 35 millimeter retrospective, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Cool. Why not
1: triple X? That's going to get like everyone through the door. Yeah.
0: Triple X, a 35 millimeter retrospective. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, I'm disappointed. We're going to
1: move on though, because we're going to move on to the metal slash the punk. Okay. What would be in your ultimate? Rockstar rider? Oh, it,
0: it, okay, it depends on what period of my life. <laughs> now that I'm 65, I would maybe a masseuse, maybe some coconut oil so I can massage some of my joints. Things healthy. If I was in my 20s and 30s, probably alcohol and drugs and hookers. <laughs> so just the standard. I'm, I'm, that's you know, 20s. Yeah. But now that I'm 65, uh, back rub. You know, heating pads, things of that nature. So, wait, in your 40s, then it would
2: have been, like, it would have been, like, just a naughty back rub? Like, just somewhere in between the two?
0: Yeah, maybe. Something <laughs> like that. Something like that. I don't know. I, I don't... Wait a minute. I don't think I wasn't married yet. So, maybe 20s and 30s. Well, all right. Yeah, definitely. We're going to backdate that promise to right when... Yeah, back, that, yeah backdate <laughs> that.
2: That is a whole other podcast. Anyways, <laughs> this is a family show.
1: No, it's not. Definitely not a family show. Anyways, okay, so we're going to move on. The album is... Frenzel Rom, uh, which I picked this week, and I'll explain why I picked it in my review. That's a slightly long review, so I apologize. I had a lot of thoughts this
2: time around. Give it to us, buddy.
1: When I first chose Frenzel Rom's Coughing Up a Storm, it was purely because Evan had mentioned them as a choice for a past guest, but we decided to go with 80s metal instead as you do. And despite my Aussie punk history, I had avoided this Sydney outfit since discovering them due to the fact that a bunch of fuckwits at school loved them. I even remember one arsehole being punched while singing, well, singing in quotation marks, on the train. And I'm reminded that sometimes karma is beautiful. So would this debut LP be as punchy or should I keep the ROM's name out of my fucking mouth? Upon pressing Spotify, I noticed the first song, Genius, really spoke to me. So I fired up play and found something familiar, albeit unexpected, because it was a little harder than I was expecting, as I thought they were a softer punk band for skaters. So we're off to a good start, except for that bogan, Aussie accent that I hate. I get a sense, as fraud begins, that they're a mainstream sellout band stuck in the shoes of a pub band. With old-school drum mentalities, poetically vulgar lyrics, and that Aussie accent, the melodies and compositional twists and turns feel like they're screaming for a larger crowd, except certain moments in Run, where the lead singer sings Bleed. That did not sound good, melodically nor vocally, but it did succeed in making my ears bleed. Get Off started with that pub mentality, but ultimately felt almost like a brassless ska song stuck in a punk song, if not for the chorus. Same with Suburban Male, which felt more scar driven pop-punk than old-school pub band I didn't care too much for Don't Speak. I mean, it was okay, but very much felt like a filler track, which coupled with the next track left me sick and tired for something surprising, which almost came with infotainment, which sounded like a potential theme for a 90s supernatural TV show on basic cable. The Dugga Dugga Bow Bow came on, and well, no, it didn't come on anything since it couldn't bring itself to fuck you. And they say romance is dead. <laughs> Whilst I feel the drumming is 50% one pace and the vocals fittingly monotone throughout most of this record, it still feels like they're trying to break free as much as break out. They never seem to lean into any idea long enough to let it grow or shine. Four Leaders brings back memories of the silver pillow, if you know, you know. Big Paranoia seems to stick to its guns and feels the most complete for that reason. Cones lit up the speakers with an acoustic ditty about ice cream. Yum! Khan Khan sounded a bit too much like other songs prior, but the lyrics made me giggle more than any other track. But it's all in the delivery. And yes, that accent. So long story short, yeah. Sometimes. Other times, meh. Three stars. Wait, no, three and a half stars for the phone messages because long live the 90s. I loved it in the 90s when there would just be a random phone message in the middle of an album, like TLC. (laughs) I think they had a couple (laughs) in Crazy Sexy Cool. Just for no reason, there'd just be a phone message.
2: And it was like by far, like by two times the longest song on the album. Yeah, it was.
0: (laughs) Just the phone. Now, now, listening to the album, I guess then i looked at the date 95 it was more like a kind of a green day ramones devo a couple ska beats red hot chili peppers bad religion no effects type of that commercial punk sound right yeah. more so than say the abstract punk attitude and i i do i do what you said about the song genius mm-hmm. it kind of gave me a, a Devo feel a little bit the song fraud has some you know solid bass lines, but really i was unsure about the untitled one, two, and three, was that part of the album? Cause yeah. untitled three was my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> I'm serious. Cause it, it was like, it had a really funky groove, a little bit of abstract, a, a little bit of a noise, couple noise tracks in there, which I'm very partial to. Cause that's, that's the root of all my punk is like, I used to have this thing called, you know, funk is the base of all my distortion, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I love rhythmic polyrhythmic noise, that's me. That's my, that's my soul right there. Right. So that, that untitled track number three, was probably pretty much my favorite of the whole album.
1: Yeah. I I, I did enjoy it. Cause it was just, it was funny listening to the nineties in that way.
0: Well, the nineties absolutely
2: poured out of it. Like I listened to the album, like what was the distance from this album to like Green Day Dookie album? It was like the same year. Didn't they can both come out in 95? I think so. Yeah. So it just feels like we were at this moment where like a lot of the, like he was saying a lot of the polished power pop, punk stuff had sort of very similar sort of like Butch Vig sheen to it. And yeah, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, I've been to a few punk shows and it's always, I hit this point in the punk show where like half an hour through, I'm like, you could hold a gun to my head and I couldn't tell you which song was which. If they said, oh, you remember this song of this title? And I'm like, if you switch the title to a different chorus, it does, the first eight songs yeah. on this album were essentially the same song. Yeah. It was essentially the same song before they had like the halftime started on infotainment. And then we finally started doing some different stuff. Like I understand by the time we get to the untitled stuff, they're finally showing like, no, we're musicians. We can do some fun stuff too. I'm like, you could have interspersed this entire album with these breaks and could have given us a little bit of breath. But it's like after the fifth consecutive song that feels like sort of like a Dookie reject because on Dookie, at least, you have a whole bunch of songs that slow down. You have some songs that shift up tempo a bit more. This takes like track. uh, I want to say track 11 before we get our first song that's not just in straight four. Yeah. (laughs) Like they tried it in certain songs, but they never stuck to it or you never went back to it for long enough or anything. So it never- Intercut in the order. So that way you're not just getting so much sameness at the top. Cause I think there's a lot of cool stuff. I love punk in major keys. That's so fun. Uh, It's not like fake dark. There were some cool messages. It also gets really grating on the ear for like a certain period of time when it's that nineties, no vibrato punk singing. I'm gonna sing on all of the notes but none of the notes will be extended. (laughs) Now do that with an Aussie accent. Oh right, God, over here we're gonna try oh i gotta extend all right wherever we'll you people talk down here that's how it felt for me i just felt like we were just going through so many of the same songs i'm like oh i can get a beer for the first hour of this show and then come back when you start doing the funky stuff <laughs> that's what the plan was that you're at a pub that's mm-hmm. that, that felt like they were a pub band
1: trying to break out trying to say this is what we can do we can sound like green day which was 93, 94, by the way, February 94. Mm. I agree with you there. That sort of felt like they were trying to do that. And which a lot of bands in their first albums always sound like they're influencers, basically. It's like filmmakers always, yeah. you know, they use their filmmaking influences in their first few films. Same with bands.
0: Do you think there's a lack of, No, I don't want to say lack of creativity because that's cold blooded because it was, it was, it was a fun album. It was a party album. It was like, you know, dong bong hits in the dorm and, you know, kicking things and stuff like that. But, but say, compared to like, like, say like like sonic youth or perry ubu or something you know it's just like it, and this is where we were talking earlier jonathan about is it jonathan wagner jonathan uh mr jwags jonathan john Mr wags okay my middle name is jonathan j-o-t-h-a-n like the vampire
2: yes j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n the correct way proper way thank you thank you that's a you. attack of the jonathans
0: <laughs> so and that's what i was talking to you earlier about stand true to your art and your voice and and then the audience will find you. Mm -hmm. It's like, I go back to the early days when the only time you heard U2 and REM was on college radio.
2: Ah, yeah.
0: The only time you heard U2 or REM was on college radio.
1: But I'll just throw it in there that the only place I listen to U2 is on mute. So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or you heard underground artists on late night, overnight college radio. So now those people who stay true to their art and to their voice, the world found them, right? Well, I mean, the world found the ones the world found. We don't know about the ones the world didn't find. But I like, I love, li- I love Radiohead, right? Yeah. But I like some of the musicianship and styles of Coldplay too. So this band, this Aussie band, that wants to be like Green Day, four on the floor, blah blah blah. Okay, well, you know, it's cool. I'm, I wouldn't buy the album. I'm sorry. But like I said, track, the untitled track three was my favorite, even though, even though the one I gotta admit, Dugga a Dug a Bow Bow or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I it, then because I my, and I shouldn't say this but I will. When I was in my punk band, it was the same riff, but it was almost like I'd rather be queer than fuck a girl like you, <laughs> which was the same, <laughs> which was the same, the, the, the same like narrative of that song. So I was like, oh boy, things I guess have changed and haven't really changed.
1: Yeah, not nah. yeah. The, oh, look, I agree it was monotonous. See, because I had never listened to them before, and it was actually for that reason, because there was a bunch of fucking idiots at my school that didn't like me, and I didn't like them, so I just, you know, avoided them as I was getting into the punk scene and someone did actually get punched on the train for singing friends of roms punch me in the face or something like that like someone took his singing literally and went up and punched him in the face which is a golden moment
2: i wonder if that would have been like a defense in court well he told me to i mean exactly <laughs> like a blue suede shoe. yeah i i
1: don't know how i not ever heard them before ever i kind of agree i don't know if i would again and that's everything to do with the accent
2: unless you tell me they have like the equivalent of an american idiot album where like all their lyrics got really good yeah and they decided
1: real ambition well this is their first album so we a few of their later ones charted
2: so we don't know how good they got really yeah some debut albums are kind of perfect though all Oz is like meatloaf's like al- first album was darn near perfect sometimes you nail it right on the first try
0: yeah but at that that first album that was truly his voice right that was true Oh,
2: that voice, like him and Freddie Mercury, are like if I could be, if I could have a voice, it would be one of those two. <laughs> just, All right. just give it to me. I want that energy back from the universe. You know, <laughs> Alison
1: Fraser, who obviously Jonathan Wagner, you would know from Broadway, Oh no! I was mm-hmm. from Broadway, and well, hang on. Oh my god! Now I've gone off. I'd done that again—that thing where I go off on a fucking tangent, and then I forget what the point was. It happens, babe. This—that's the radio biz. Yeah, it was something about Alice and Fraser. What was it about? Oh my god, Fathers! It was <laughs> literally right there. We were talking about Friends or Rome. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. We'll come back. It'll come back to you. It'll come back to sweet. me. Oh my god, I am a goldfish, plain and simply. I forget things like, that was literally five seconds. Oh my god, I have to leave that in there too. Um, There was a reason why I brought her up. I mean, I've
2: completely forgotten where we were on. We're gonna go back listen to it because we have taped this and then you're gonna bring it and then you're just gonna edit it in. You're just gonna do a ADR later. Yeah, so so respond with something. Oh yes, that's
1: really interesting
2: and I'm glad you remembered that. Aaron, what a trenchant point you made. Thank goodness you had that long <laughs> unbroken monologue where neither of us talked. Oh my god, <laughs> you... Is that good? Wanna work with that? that that's
1: Brilliant. I'm just going to leave that in as it is, because that's just even <laughs> funnier than you saw, if I was to ADR anything in. I have no idea what the point of that was. And what we were talking about before, debut albums. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Your brilliant voices. Brilliant voices. And then it went on to... <laughs> yeah, the Meatloaf.
0: <laughs> no, we were, we, were, we were talking about basically, you know, people finding their voices, their original, yeah. album, the first album of this band. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they kind of, you know... Uh, the impact they made in your life, the guy getting punched in the face on the bus. hmm
2: Yeah. That'd be a legal defense. <laughs> like, if Elvis, if someone stepped on Elvis's blue suede shoes could, and he took him to the court, It's like, but in the song you said I could. I don't know if that'd be- no, no, he says, don't you. He tells you not to. So, yeah, Elvis would win Okay, that. but what if <laughs> you knocked him down and stepped on his face and slandered his name all over the place, but did not step on the blue suede shoes?
1: Well, then, that's, you've, you've won that case, haven't you? <laughs> that, that'll hold up. Oh god, I have no no fucking clue what it was. That, why I brought up Allison? Oh, it'll come to me.
0: It's so funny because it's like you you said what my what would be on my rider? and my in my early days will be the debauchery, but my later days will be like you know tickets to the theater or or a pass to the museum of art or something like that. And that's the, that's the beauty of getting older.
2: After sound check, I get a taxi to the art museum. I get lunch there for free, and then bring me back to the venue for the show. That sounds like a perfect, like, post-sound check thing to do.
0: Oh my god, when did I get old? Oh, oh my god. This is lovely breed. Thank goodness they listen to the rider.
1: <laughs> oh goodness, I, I don't know. I have to stop going off on tangents, that's all I know. Anyways, we're going to continue on, because if I can find my thingo, it looks like we're not friends with Rom, so we're going to go to an break. Hey listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the rollercoaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of thrash and treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before, not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. "'Are you awake?' Toniston whispers. Oh, "'How can I sleep in this place?' Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches." We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep, as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost... happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows, as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins. But both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own equally uncomfortable one, spotting a large white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom or what may be operating this obscure crane over a long slow descent the package is dropped to the ground polly keeps her eyes on it but toniston looks up immediately spotting a large black shadow scurry away to god only knows where come he whispers as he quietly hops off her bed slipping into his docks with bare feet polly follows his lead careful to keep watch on all directions the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that... spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! There we go. Anyways, we're back with Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Mr. J Wags. And we are joined by Jonathan X. Now, if 10 year old JX suddenly appeared in this room, what reminder or advice would he have for you that you feel you may have forgotten today?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Well, if I'd forgotten it today, I wouldn't be able to tell him.
1: Oh, God. And here's me forgetting things two seconds afterwards. So. <sighs>
0: <laughs> but no, what 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 advice I would give my ten year old self? Well, no, it was the other way around. What what well, advice would he give you? Do you think? Oh, oh my, t- I don't know. But I know I would tell myself that being alone is not mean loneliness. That would mm-hmm. be it. Because I was thinking today, I was because th- I and the reason why I feel that because today I had the movie Marty with Ernest Borgnine on my mind because somebody wrote something because like and I says God, I can't tell you how pre- prepubescent. If that's the right word, me without a girlfriend, that movie was everything to me as a kid, because it made me feel there was hope. And for every pot, there was a lid. <laughs> and so so I would say that, that don't don't stress out about, you know, settling.
1: <laughs> now, just back on the Oscars, I believe
2: Jay Wags has a couple of questions. Oscars always run long. Like, do they run, like, in rehearsal, I'm sure you, you've got it, like, running mostly on time. What is adding all that extra time? Is it just, like, is it the applause and the actors going over time?
0: Well, I have never directed the main telecast to Oscars. yet. Yes, we're putting it out there. Well, you know, you never know yet. But on other on other award shows and projects, what there's two things that happen. One is the energy of the moment. Mm-hmm. especially if it's live people talk people get into it they want to thank everyone you know then they start you know thanking their, their pet sitter and all that it gets annoying but for the most yeah. part <laughs> sometimes there's really really emotional moments of people connecting towards the people from their past their family their loved ones you know people who are influential in their life and then you have the musical performances where, which are kind of a fixed time but like sometimes it ins and outs but i would say the applause and the speeches is what carried it over. And then, if you want to fine tune things, maybe reduce the amount of performances. But sometimes the performances make it. I mean, I cannot imagine the Tonys without performances.
2: Yeah. Yes. Right. Well, they tried that. Well, they, well the point of the Tonys is that you have to go to a specific place to see these performances with movies. It's
0: like it's in your town probably. Yeah. Uh, and so, and the other, and I think the other time killer. Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, God, please don't get me going on that. You're in a situation where there
2: was a slap or like a La La Land, a moonlight situation where like just the wrong thing got named. What control does a TV director have in that situation?
0: It, it, well, it depends, right? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm not, God, how can I do this without naming names? So we're doing an award, I'm doing an award show in Miami. It's music, blah, 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 blah. And then it says, okay, bubble, okay, go wide shot, okay, Q&A, please welcome from so-and-so, and so-and-so, so-and-so this actress and it's okay, cue out, send her and nothing's happening. And the band's still playing for the walk-on music send her out. And it's like, I got where is she? I say, she just slapped so-and-so backstage and there's a tussle. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So then we just said, okay, blah, 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 walk. So we just who's, who's backstage, blah, 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 <laughs> send them out, read the prompter. <laughs> Sent them out, read a poem. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to be here, by blah, 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 blah. Please welcome our next artist. And they were supposed to introduce the next musical act. And that's how it happened. Other times you just adjust accordingly, right? You, you, you have a plan, A, B, C, D, but then life <laughs> gives you plan E. And you just roll with it. Those are really like the magical moments when things aren't scripted, when things happen that you're not planning for, you know, be it performance wise or be it, you know, the delivery or be it just, you know, things that that conversation happen if you're doing an interview show and all of a sudden somebody admits something. Like I remember a long time when um, Harrison Ford was on Tavis, right? It was a half hour interview. And at the beginning of the interview, he's like sitting back with his arms crossed, right? And then maybe five minutes in, he realized it wasn't just a soundbite interview. Tavis is actually asking him questions and listening to his answers. By the time the interview was over, Harrison Ford's like leaning forward in his chair, lean, you know. so the body language automatically shifted over the course of the 25 minutes. And so even, even as a director, then you cut that differently. Maybe you stay a little bit longer on a wide shot to see the body language of the two together, maybe go to more singles of Harrison Ford as he's listening to the question, you know. pondering the question, thinking of his answers, whatever, and then cut and then stay with him for his answer, you know, then maybe a shot of Tavis as he's reacting to that. heartfelt answer so things like that emotions change and you capture that and then that's the stuff that happens that you don't plan for. So do you prefer live or tape TV? I, I like I like live. I like live because it's the energy it's like high wire act. Oh my God, anything can happen. And then when shit does happen, how good am I to get out of it with my, with the excellence of my crew and the people around me and to have fun. And it's always so, it's almost like going to battle. It's so much, I love live performances, like more than anything else. That's why I can never do film.
2: You've done sports, you've done live music, you've done award shows, you've done, uh, pol- you worked on the DNC and the RNC in 88 and 92, yes? Yes, yes. So it's like you've done all these very different sorts of lives. Well, first of all, I want to know, are there differences in the skill set you used to call live music sports versus uh, like wards versus politics? And what was the biggest difference between the vibe of the Dukakis DNC and the Clinton DNC? It's a dollar in the jar. You mentioned politics.
0: <laughs> Touching that first. <laughs> I I remember the Pat Buchanan speech in Houston Ooh. at the Republican. That the one, that was I call that the brown shirt speech. The one that never made it to prime time, but I think I, I made sure I got a copy of it on tape. I have it on an M2 machine somewhere tape. But that was the most frightening thing I've ever seen in my life because I was in the truck watching that. People were like frothing at their mouth. It was like early days of MAGA in some ways. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it it was like, yeah.
2: Right out of Reagan.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that was probably one of the worst. But I I I know we don't do politics, but I'll just tell you the difference right now from between Americans right here. I've done three RNC conventions and I've done three democratic conventions. Here's the political difference. At the DNC, the janitor to the president, you talk to 10 different people, you get 10 different variations upon a theme. It's like free jazz. Okay, with the with, 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 the Republicans from the janitor to the president, you talk to a hundred different people and it's the same message. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And even, if, even if it's a lie, one, two, three, and then they're like the board, they get the signal and then they all go four, five, six, four, five, six. They are so good on staying on message and perpetrating the same Narrative no matter what. Democrats, free jazz. Republicans, <laughs> the Borg. On the one and three, you said, right? Just kidding. One, <laughs> <You> two, three. <laughs> one, two, three. I swear to God, they don't miss. And that's the biggest difference.
2: I just want to, like, in your free time, do you like to watch TV? And
0: if you do, do you ever like direct from your couch? I was like, zoom,
2: zoom now, zoom now.
0: No, no, <laughs> no. I, I I watch it. I watch it as escapism, but I watch, you know, as sports or if I watch other. but I do appreciate the talent. Like if I say, I go, oh man, that's a sweet move. Oh, I love that. Oh, I'm stealing that.
2: What is a sweet move that you would steal? Like what, like a, like a camera? Movie?
0: Well, no, like, it's like, it's like, like the one of my favorite, like I'm, I'm a big fan of Eurovision. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. A major fan of Eurovision. We've
1: got to get onto it this year earlier, JX, because for the past right, five years right. you
0: don't get it live. <laughs> Sometimes I can watch it on one of the Spanish stations that might carry it, but I have a hard time finding it. Yes, you know that's the problem. But like, like recently, I was watching this because I like to go like to the international channels and channel surf or, because you never know what you're going to find. So I came across this Armenian special about the Armenian genocide, and they had this beautiful set. It was a beautiful performance. They had this mime artist come in, and the orchestra was playing. He's starting, and he's for the warm up. You know, and he's miming the different instruments, and the, and the orchestra's warming up. And then he brings out the uh, lead, the, the conductor, the maestro. And then he does a bit where he pretends he's pulling a curtain across the stage. And as he's pulling the curtain across the stage, the light, the lights tracking to reveal the whole orchestra and the upstage, right. So the edging was almost perfect, but it's, you still got the, you got what he was trying to do. He's pulling the light to reveal the stage. And then it was this beautiful techno crane spider cam way in the back of the house and it's, it's traveling down z-axis and covering every and it's in this you know so shit like that i watch it and i go like oh my god it's beautiful look at that camera placement oh they got a dolly cam down in the pit blah 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 because the singer's there and it like this and it's like so i watch i watch and i look at camera placement i, I kind of look at lenses but i look at the shots i look at I look, I, I, the color palette because every country every i mean there are distinct differences between cultural timing, cultural color palettes. Well, like what's the difference in cultural timing? Well, say say if, if I'm going to Nashville and I'm doing R and B, blah 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 blah. But then all of a sudden, if I go to Greek and I'm listening to thirty second note Mandarin, blah, 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 like mm. you know something like that, that's timing. Yeah, you know right. So if I feel like I'm if I'm if I see the edit on the one, but some other places I'm gonna go one two three four one I might feel the edit on four versus one that's what I'm saying it's like a rhythm it's like a cultural rhythm you know does that make sense yes uh, the flavor it, it could either be like like the first time I worked with this one kid he was from um he was a Persian and he, he writes uh Farsi and curvature you know the flow versus the script of people in America whatever but I noticed when I used to have him zoom instead of a straight zoom in his zooms had a little curve to it, you know what I'm saying? Is but I didn't know if that was because it's just just then. Then we talked about language and this and time. So I mean, there are little there there are little nuances, you know, and you pick up on you see it. What's a position in your field
2: that's like one of those crucial jobs that you know you could not live without? A person who's awesome at this job, but civilians like me wouldn't think about it. At all like I'm like I'm. You need a camera op. You need someone who's a switcher. But like, what else? What's like a hidden job that maybe people don't know about?
0: This is gonna sound so bogus, but every position has a value. And I'm talking about on a on the technical side, on the mm-hmm. producing side, the production side, you know, everything, because it really, it really is a collaborative industry, right? Like think about it when you're when you're on the stage doing musical theater from the doorman to the ticket taker to the people who move the props to the people backstage to the people who are doing the curtains to everything. If this like I just recently went to go see Ain't Too Proud to Beg the, the 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 Temptations musical yeah and they had some pieces foreground background sliding cars table sit prop screen drops this 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 all oh, like it was like a clock you know what I'm saying it was. Fine-tune the beats. The microphone sliding in on a pre-built stand. Position the light cue. So I, I say everything, every everything, everything. I mean, to me, my AD and my TD are my left hand and my right hand. Right. That's immediate. My associate director and my technical director. Right. The two. Right. But even then, the assistant to my tech manager, who oversees the hiring and this and this and this, plays a vital role too. So really, if you think about it, your whole that staff list that we mm-hmm. get for our productions. To me, everybody's as equally valued. And then as far as leadership is concerned, I make sure that I recognize and treat everybody with the value that I have for them. And I'm talking about from the moment I drive on the lot, and see the security guard, good morning, how are you, blah, 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 blah. Are you ready for a good day? All right, brother, take care, right? Because that sense
2: of value. I mean, yeah, like it comes top down a lot of the time and like, I, I imagine in TV, it's like theater or any other just huge collaborative project. The weakest link becomes very apparent very fast because everyone depends on everyone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then either A, you can be in that situation where, oh, God, everybody smells blood in the water and we're going to eat the weakest link. <laughs> or <laughs> Or we're going to try to strengthen that weakest link. Or we try to strengthen that and do the best we can and work with people. Unless unless the people's a total terrible asshole, then nobody really cares. But if people are good people and people are trying, then you you work together to make things better overall and not Mm -hmm. scapegoat, you know, and I've been in situations where I've seen it before. I've been a victim of being scapegoated, but that's okay. But but I I know how and this comes towards how you want to operate your your team, your crew, right? they're not family, but they're family. I mean, you spend a lot of time with these people. So how do you want to run your ship? How do you want your group to be, you know, generally on your team?
2: How many people do you directly hire? Is it just ADT, then they hire down? Or do you go top bottom? It's your
0: team? No, listen, I I, I am on the I'm on a I'm not on like, I'm not like a top dog where I get say on anything. There's been shows where I walk up, hey, we got a project, blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. Well, you know, no everything's already in place you just come in and manage okay other things well how how many people do do i get to do i get to uh pick my cameras do i get to pick my ad do i get to pick my td do i get to but well we like like the wakanda forever project when i did the the purple purple carpet everything was in place i came in to disney marvel so i i you know it's like okay whatever i'm just here okay i'm the guest director doing the red carpet this big red carpet for your purple carpet but we know that they were extremely happy with that and it looked really good yeah sometimes i don't get none and that's where and that's where it's important on your on your uh i would say management skills and your people skills and then it's like you you navigate i'm not trying to reinvent the world i'm not trying to do this i'm here blah 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 i'm not you know nobody's job's in jeopardy i'm here but and then other times people who know you then your reputation precedes you a little bit. And they come in, hey, X, how you doing, man? Nice to see you again. Oh, great. Oh, who else is on the show? Oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. We work together on this. Oh, we work together on that. All right, excellent, man. So let's have a good time. All right, let's have a meeting, so-and-so-and-so. Let's get all briefed and, and catch up and go from there.
2: What percentage would you say of your job is hard skills, soft skills? A hard skills like your specific technical knowledge, like I know this camera, I know this system, great. And soft skills, like I need to make sure everyone is working at their peak, so I need to be a leader today as opposed to just a technical
0: guy. The hard skills are in the back of my head and in my back pocket. The mm-hmm. soft skills are with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause, Cause the hard skills happen to me when I do all my pre-planning, right? Ah. When I do all my meetings, when I do all my Zoom calls, when I do my site surveys, when I do this. Cause like before we showed up and I'll, and I'll make reference to the Oscar nominations, right brother? So before I showed up, I did one site survey, talked about camera placement, talked mm-hmm. about run a show, mm-hmm. talked about patterns, talked about resources for the graphics and all this, right? So when we landed at that first day and start building and place, placing the cameras, placing this, by the time we were ready to do our, our a little bit of a look-see, I had already structured out the whole show up here, right, in my mind. So we were able to step through all these beats. And then by the time we had our meal break at noon, came back at one, and then all the executives were there, <laughs> Mm-hmm. What I call the higher pay grade. <laughs> they weren't here all morning, but they're going to judge you on what they do right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so when the <laughs> higher pay grade arise which I always answer to, we were able to show them patterns, right, of the run of show and the concept and let them get their feedback in and had time to adjust, to make adjustments before I had a hard out at 4 p.m. Because we had to be back at midnight and I had a, didn't have a short turnaround, which is another aspect of time management schedule management, because that fucks with the money. <laughs> so you got you, you're navigating that too so you prepare prep 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 prepare show design adjust make the adjustments show so everybody signs off and then we rehearse some beats for ourselves so that's part of the soft skills. You know, the hard skills in the back, prep planning, know your team, know what you got, know what you're working with, right? Mm-hmm. And then the soft soft skills is delegating responsibility. You know, uh, it, it, this comes back from my ROTC, my my football days, my being an RA in a dorm, authoritarian, oh. but let, democratic leadership, right? And that mm-hmm. is, in, in certain situations, you know, the big picture, but you take feedback from your team, and you can allocate those suggestions where it can work. So mm-hmm democratic where I'm open, and I'm, I'm not intimidated by your creativity. I'm not intimidated by your intelligence. I'm not intimidated by your professionalism or your skill set. But authoritarian of that I have, I'm designing the big picture. And I'll, 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 I'll adapt your suggestion where I can make it work. Because I know what's happened on A, B, and C, your suggestions is great for B, so I can work it in here. And then when you do that, you have a tendency of, to make your everyone feel like they have a vested interest in the project, that they have mm-hmm. skin in the game, they have creative capital in the project, and you get more people feeling open to contribute and take chances, even if they think they make a mistake. Like when people make a mistake, I don't turn into a fucking terror. I go like, that's okay. Come on, let's keep going. We got work to do. Don't worry about it. But we'll come back to it later. Right? Because I great. want people to, I, I want people to try, right, if, you, if people try and reach outside their comfort zone, they have the ability sometimes to show you something that you didn't think of. And then that looks even cooler because people like this is go out of their range.
2: That's lovely when you see people like thrive outside their- their
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I could talk about this stuff for hours. Like I'm fascinated with this stuff. My sister is actually a professor of TV production, so like I know oh, she's well. going to be listening to this and fascinated.
0: Yeah. Oh well, listen, have her have her, have her call me anytime because I do some classes at Cal State Northridge on occasion. I love teaching sometimes.
2: Oh heck yeah, uh, yeah. My my dad was in the uh, the California State system for years as an administrator. So absolutely, uh, yeah. This is this has all been really fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah, bloody oath. And that's why I love having JX on the show, because this is a side of entertainment that, you know, we don't get to hear about all that often. Technical directors and the technical staff, the behind the scenes crew, are not the ones being invited onto the press circuit or onto the talk shows or anything. So being so big on pop culture myself it you know i absolutely love talking about it and listening to it especially but we are running short on time the clock is sticking i've only got a few questions here so uh okay so what is your favorite naughty word
0: oh i'd say i say fuck all the time it's a good one It's it's so versatile it's the most versatile cuss word at all
2: uh, I kind of like to, like, play with fuck a little bit. Like, I think my favorite is, like, ah, oh, fuckity balls. And just, like, mess with it and just, like, say some extra things. It's like, ah, oh, fuck master Like, yeah, fuck Minster Fuller. Like, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fuck, he can really thrust out. Yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. There's so many uses, man.
1: That's it. What's the worst time you got in trouble as a kid?
0: Uh... When I was really young, I was I, I was living in the projects in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Jackson Lake Apartments, and we were throwing rocks at each other. And I hit a kid right under his eye, and I completely panicked and ran away from home through the rail yards out back. Because I and then eventually I, I went home and basically had to you know apologize and give the kid my piggy bank with all my savings as part of my punishment, my atonement for my sin, Uh, but he was okay. I just had a really bad gash on his eye. But when I was little, I was a death panic. That was, that was one of the times. And then the other time I got in trouble, I was, when I was living in Germany, I was supposed to, uh, come home for the summer back to the States or back to the world for the summer. And I must've smarted off or something to my mother my stepfather looked at me, took the ticket, tore it up, says, you're not going anywhere. Don't ever do this to your mother again, you know, disrespect her, And I tell you what, I learned my lessons. I never stepped out of line ever again from that. I mean, so it wasn't that bad, but the punishment was like, wow, that was, that was tough. So yeah, those are yeah. lessons I never forgot. So you didn't burn down any buildings
1: or anything? I'm so disappointed now, i No, I'm
0: no that's, the, that's the trouble. I got in trouble and got the discipline, you know, but I i, I don't think, well, okay. Right, oh, you want to know something I did bad? Okay. Here's something that I did kind of bad. Oh, you want to hear? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we were, we were we were camping in Holland, and so we were at an animal reserve. I hope statute limitations are over for this. We we're at an animal reserve, and so we're we're walking around the campgrounds, and we see these flags, you know, from all the different nations around. Yeah. So we climb up over the fence, and we climb up, and we take some of the flags. We're a bunch of kids, and then we see another fence enclosure. We started to climb up over that fence, and Lions. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Lions in Holland? Yeah. Well, it was the an animal, animal kind of. It was like a zoo thing, like a safari reserve. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. But we didn't know, <laughs> and we were. It was late at night. It was closed. We had already climbed over the fences because we were stealing the flags of the nations that were still up at night. And then we see another fence. We're about to climb over that, and then it got hit by a line on the other side. And we quickly jumped down and backtracked and got out of there. Oh. So. That's probably the worst, one of the worst things. Well, wait a minute. There's a couple other things, but we'll say that <laughs> but, for future episodes. Yeah. Now,
2: awesome.
1: now,
0: now, if you triggered the dirty side of my brain, of the, the evil side, I'm going back to. Oh my god.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Oh, wow. I love that. I'm glad it was you and not me. Anyways, uh, what's the worst earworm song?
0: None. 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 I, I don't. I, I really don't have anything. I mean, like, I really don't have any. I can't think of any of that where I go, oh my God, why am I singing that right now? It's probably almost like the last thing you heard. It, it, that's, how, that's how shallow I am sometimes. It's like, oh, I just heard that. Now it's am in my head, oh, whatever. Or or when we're doing rehearsals and we're bumping in with theme songs, or, dun, 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 I say, okay, God, it's like, oh, please. So that that might happen. So every time I hear NFL on Fox or CBS Sports or something like that, and I hear the theme song, I have a little Pavlovian response to it. And I'm like, oh, I get a little knot
2: i can't even imagine being a tv director like tv theme songs to you must like (laughs) they must be a very that's a very specific occupational hazard
0: you get the work ptsd well sometimes there there are are certain like like when i hear uh nfl on fox theme song or cbs sports theme song or espn sometimes i i I hear that uh and i go like oh because i remember okay we're on the air in five four three two one roll it oh god here we go Send my camera. Uh, stop it stop it stop it Yeah, but you get over
2: it I get the music PTSD from Christmas music because I used to work in a the mall Ugh. there are like 8 specific Christmas songs that I just associate with being screamed at oh my god but yeah it was ooh. simply having a wonderful Christmas time Like I love Paul McCartney I cannot listen to that song anymore it just raises my blood pressure the bells
0: ding 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 ah. ding ding ding, 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 ding. Oh, God. And like Billy
2: Gilman, the country singer, he was like eight at the time, wrote like a Christmas album. There was one of his songs called Email Santa. That song played every hour on the hour. And it was just like, I'm going to email Santa. I'm like, "This, I'm, shoot me. Just shoot me. Again, I'm glad it was here. And not me.
1: Uh, anyways. I- Jay Wax, have you got any more questions? Because I come to the end of mine.
2: Like, I feel like I've been I took so much of your time already. Thank you so much for your time and your brilliance.
0: No, sir. I had a wonderful time as always with you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Yeah, no, thank you so much. You know, it is always an honor to chat to you, JX. I could talk to you for hours and I could listen to you talk
0: for hours more as well all right well make sure jonathan make sure you tell your sister the professor who's a tv production instructor reach out want to have a conversation and i can give a talk to the class about this side of the world and, and the freelance community and what it takes to not to succeed but how to navigate and maneuver this cutthroat world that is incredibly
2: kind of you thank you i will
0: absolutely
2: pass on your information all right excellent
1: before you go where can people find you on the social
0: medias at jf's director on twitter yeah and then they deleted my old instagram account i don't know why because i didn't have any nudes on it on it on it but i have jonathan on instagram Ah, oh, thank you so much this has been amazing
2: i'm i'm always happy when people who have very important jobs especially in the entertainment industry like you get a chance to like talk to the people who you don't normally get to talk to because i mean i've seen nine dozen film director interviews but i don't think i've ever had a chance to interview a tv director uh who's had the experience you've had Okay. Well, I know
0: they used to, they, a lot of times in, in the beginning of my career, was, you know, film is art, television is furniture, but then wow. I go like, yeah, but remember, Jesus was a carpenter, so calm the fuck down, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, but no, it's, it's I, I completely respect and love film directors and that craft, but my God, it's like, it's like, oh, can we hurry up? <laughs> no, so so no, but it's like it's like they work on it, and I understand the craft and all that. But to me, it's like fucking live, dude. Show up to the venue, park and power the truck, unload that shit, set up, do some blocking, rehearse. Fucking do a live show, strike that shit, get out next city. You know, it's like, like fucking gypsies, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's like road warriors. Or if you're lucky enough, we get in town on a fucking Sunday. We have our meeting Sunday night, blah, blah, blah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're building, we're setting up, rehearsing, blah, 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 blah. We do that fucking show Saturday night. We're out of there Sunday next city. You know, it's, there's certain different structures of what type of shows you're doing. If you actually get rehearsal blocking, sometimes it's just like sports set, power set up, boom. Go, go, do the show, get out of there. Yeah. Half hour meal break. Blah, 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 blah. Indigestions, whatever. Yeah, film guys, you know, whatever. Oh, we're going to do two pages today. Cue the hawk. We need to get at the daylight. <laughs> All right, coming back tomorrow. <sighs> Call me, I'll be in my fucking trailer. <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> Huge thanks to
1: JX for joining us again, third time. Make sure you watch the Oscars coming up next month in March. And if you're in New Jersey, make sure you go see Hercules, the musical. Plus, j has a show opening next weekend in Wisconsin called Shining in Misery, a brand new musical with lyrics by the amazing Mark Eugene Garcia. But anyway, so yes, go see Hercules if you're in New Jersey, New York. Go see Shining in Misery if you're in Wisconsin area. And if you're in New York, make sure to grab your tickets to Bad Cinderella, which is David Zippel's other musical, which is opening this week, or opening in previews this week. I know Spencer... Our Broadway spy has already got his tickets to both shows, Hercules and Bad Cinderella. Uh, but anyways, you can find J-Wags on Twitter at Mr. J-Wags. You can find us at Thrush and Treasure all over the place or on Instagram at Thrush and Treasure Podcast. All the episodes are up on YouTube now in videos, not with actual video, just with the logo, because you're not getting to see me at 3 a.m. All right. Is that okay? Uh but anyways, that's it. Anyways, to you at home, you take care, and we shall see you next time. Hero. Goodbye. Alright, thank you. Awesome. That's
2: great.
0: <laughs> Call me, I'll be in my fucking trailer.